Good morning, church. So good to be with you, whether in person or online. And I have to use this opportunity to give a shout out to one of my five. Ben is turning four today. So happy birthday, Ben. You're awesome. He's watching online with his mom at home. Oh, thanks. Ben said that it's my birthday. Everyone's going to think I'm awesome. So I'm sure he feels awesome now. You guys uh, cheered for him. Hey, I want to start this morning off with a question, okay? And in fact, I was able to ask my grandparents this same or similar question a couple weeks ago when I was able to visit with them. You ready? What is the most glorious moment in your life? Like up to this, this point, into, uh, up to this day, what is the most glorious moment in your life? Like when was there a time when you were just in awe? And I get it, it's kind of early, I haven't had enough coffee, we don't have coffee setting out, so I hope we are awake. But while you're thinking, I can share with you what my grandpa said. He said two things. First, meeting my grandma Kathy. And can I just say, after nearly 60 years of marriage, like that's a beautiful picture, right, of committedness. Uh, I love that. And then secondly, almost in tears, he kind of pointed up to this guy and he said, Jesus. Now, something you need to know about my grandpa, he's a pretty simple man. Uh, He had to drop out of school early to take care of his terminally ill mom. I couldn't imagine watching that kind of suffering in front of you. But he's worked hard and his whole life has pointed to those two things. When he said meeting Jesus and meeting my grandma, I knew he meant it with his whole heart, just by the way that he lived. So I wanted to share that with you because today, I think Matthew is settling the question on who Jesus is. Who Jesus is, and uh, he's steering us, directing us, pointing us, neon lights flashing, that Jesus is who he says he is. He's about to wipe away all doubts, that Jesus is an uncommon king, and Jesus is the king of glory. And to get us kind of up to speed, I would like for us to think about where we are in the story, kind of look at the narrative for a moment. Jesus is three years into his three-and-a-half-year ministry. And John, one of the disciples that Jesus took up with him on the mountain, wrote in his gospel that Jesus did so many signs and wonders, just miraculous things, that there are not enough books in all the libraries that contain all that Jesus has done. Think about that for a moment, right? It's amazing. Healing after healing, miracle after miracle, feeding 5,000 hungry people from a simple sack lunch. Like, the list goes on. There's not enough books in all of the libraries to contain all that Jesus has done. But if you can imagine, all that Jesus did in those three and a half years got a lot of people's attention, right? Some good, some not so good. Like to the religious people, uh, the ones that wanted to play the game by their own rules, Jesus was just an unwelcome intrusion. They wanted to get him out of the picture. To the crowds, the majority who were following him, like the 5,000 that he fed, uh, he was one of the good guys, like a moral teacher, somebody they looked up to. But when Jesus looked to his disciple Peter, he said, who do you say that I am? Peter got it right. He said, you are the son of God, right? You are the son of God, the Christ. But just a couple verses after Peter got the right answer, Jesus talks about how he must suffer. And this just shakes the disciples' faith. They're staggering, they're wondering, Jesus, what are you talking about? And again, Jesus is about to settle all of their doubts. Pastor Eric read it from chapter 16. What Jesus does next is literally out of this world. All right? So I've titled this sermon, An Invitation to See the King's Glory. An Invitation to See the King's Glory. And I think there are three things that we can highlight from uh, the transfiguration in Matthew 17. The first thing we're going to look at is Jesus' transformation is an inside-out transformation. 
So Jesus' transformation is an inside-out transformation. It's what's inside that comes out. And Jesus' life and ministry is literally revealing, communicating to us every step of the way. So we're going to kind of go up a journey, up the mountain, and I hope you're ready. And as we travel up the journey, or up the mountain, we're going to be, Jesus is going to be revealing his glory more and more clearly for us to see, because he wants us to see his majesty. He wanted the disciples to see. It's written down because he wants us to see. So you ready for that journey? Let's start in verse 1 again. I want to read verses 1 and 2 again real quick. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Pretty miraculous, right? So from the Greek word uh, in English, we get the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, the definition is a change from nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. Like think along the lines of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, right? It's pretty awesome. Or if you're Pastor Eric, you might refer to your Power Ranger friends. It's morphin' time, right? If you have a little boys at home, chances are you know what morphin' time means. I don't know about you parents, but every time my kids watch something like that, at the end of it, they turn into Power Ranger, and all their siblings are the test dummies, right? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but right out of the gate, Jesus is transfigured before his disciples. It's the unveiling of the king's glory and majesty. Could you imagine what it would happen to the disciples' doubts in that moment? Like, could you imagine if you were there? It's pretty crazy to think about. And if you're hearing it for the first time, I can understand how you might not quite get your minds around the glory. And so that's kind of why I shared the story with my grandpa, as far as what is a glorious or awe moment in life that we might experience. Nothing like the transfiguration, but it's a reason I shared. It's kind of like when you meet the love of your life for the first time, right? And you guys commit to each other. You start planning that wedding, the honeymoon, the celebration, the reception. It's a glorious moment. I still remember when I met my wife, and she walked down the aisle almost 10 years ago, and I was just in awe. Like, we were at the church, and she walked around the corner, and I remember just, like, getting this tunnel vision. And nothing, everything else seemed to just kind of vanish in the background. And my heart's racing, my knees are shaking, and I'm just in awe. And to be honest with you, after I could pick my jaw up off the floor, all I could think is, like, is this really happening, right? It's a glorious moment. Maybe for you, it was the first time you held your own child, whether it's maybe your own, a niece, nephew, in your arms for the first time. Maybe it was when you got the news that the cancer is gone, or you went into that uh, scheduled surgery, and you didn't have to go with, through with it because you were healed. The doctors couldn't find anything. Those are glorious moments. But the truth is, there's nothing that compares to the draw-dropping, knee-shaking, heart-racing kind of glory that the disciples experienced in front of Jesus on that mountain, and that you and I will experience in front of him one day. There's nothing that compares to it. Friends, because we are talking about a cosmic creator, like a star-breathing God, one that set this whole world into motion, who made you and me the reason we're here today. Like, we're talking about a big God. Like, he's big, and his glory is on display. Here in Matthew 17, Jesus is revealing his glory. The glory is that he is completely who he says he is, just unveiling his kingly, heavenly power. Jesus is God, and his face literally shines as bright as the sun, and even his clothes glow. What a moment, right? So Jesus' transfiguration is actually us just getting 
a true unveiling of his glory, like I said. Chances are you've heard the Christmas song, Away in a Manger, No Room for Him in the Inn. I'm not going to sing it because it would be horrible. But Luke 2, 24 actually talks about this in his gospel. It's how Jesus came to us. Luke 22, 24 talks about Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he was lying in a manger, right? But the swaddling clothes part is good, right, and cute. I want our newborns wrapped in swaddling clothes, right? But literally laid in a cattle trough. Like, think about that for a moment. The king of kings steps out of heaven, and we get a display of his glory born through the Virgin Mary, and they don't even have a place to lay him. Like, it's revealing the humanity and the humility of Jesus. And just like he was wrapped in swallowing clothes, when Jesus stepped off of his throne and came to us, he was wrapped in flesh. Jesus became man, and he's, he walked among us. But Jesus' glory and power, it, just, it isn't just a show. It's not there just to show, even though he'd be right and showing off all day. His glory has the power to transform lives, right? There are countless stories on how Jesus is saving and seek, seeking and saving the lost and changing lives in our church and across the city, across the nation. But one of those stories I want to share with you is the transformation that's happened to my friend John. So John, he's always considered himself to be a Christian, but after a global pandemic hit, he realized, wow, a lot can really flip upside down overnight, and maybe I'm not as in much control as I thought I once was. So in seeking Jesus and looking to Jesus, John starts reading his Bible, and he starts praying, and something crazy happened. John actually started hearing God speak to his heart through his word and through his quiet time, and I admire what John did next. John realized that some things need to change. And that was when it came to a long-term relationship with his girlfriend. So he sat down with her, and he started sharing what he thought was best for them to honor God when it came to sex and their relationship, that they needed to stop doing that and honor Jesus by saving the oneness of, of, of uh, sex from marriage. So John literally told me it was one of the hardest conversations he's ever had. Could you imagine, right? His girlfriend didn't understand. She was a little confused, but she's committed, and she loves him. And so I'm excited to see what God's going to do in her heart. But next, John felt like uh, God was calling him into community. And so since uh, turning to Jesus, John's now stepped into the church. He goes to a city like you. He's found some great friendships, and he's actually growing in community. So G John found a savior to believe in and a, a family to belong to, and I love that transformational story that's happening in his life. And uh, I, feel, I share that because I feel like John is living out Romans 2.12 which talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation there is the same word used at the, the mountaintop. It's like metamorphosis. So for John, it looked like getting into his Bible, reading, praying, repenting from sin, and getting involved in community. He's being transformed by the renewing of his mind. And 2 Corinthians gives us a great promise that when we turn to Jesus, he makes all things new, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if you are in Christ... You are a new creation. The old has gone, and everything has been made new. I'm thankful for those promises. Um, see, like, John's a new creation. Jesus is changing you and me every day. He's working in this world, seeking and saving the lost. Jesus' transfiguration wasn't just a show. His transformation power changes us, too, from the inside out. Amen? Amen. So in, Jesus, in all of Jesus' glory, I say that because I think it should move us. Right? God said that higher are my ways than your ways. 
Higher are my thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. Like Jesus has the right to kind of intervene in our lives and disrupt it a little bit if it gets our attention, right? Because higher are his ways than our ways and his thoughts than our, our thoughts. And he wants to transform us so that we look more like him. It's truly for our good and his glory. So that's the first invitation, to look at Jesus' transformational power. The second invitation I think we get from Matthew 17 is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. So Peter, James, and John, who are taken up the mountain, they get an all-access pass, a front row seat to the greatest transformation ever seen, and Jesus is settling the wrestle in their hearts once and for all. Let's look at what happens to the disciples, right, and get a picture of their experience. If you remember, Jesus shows up. He's shining bright as the sun. His clothes are shining. There's a bright cloud, and the disciples, they hit the deck. They're just terrified on their face. But look at what Jesus does next. Starting in verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. They saw no one but Jesus only. So God speaks, the disciples hit the deck, but Jesus goes over to them and touches them and lifts, lifts them up. Right? How beautiful and how loving is Jesus? Right? I just think about that, that picture, and he could have been like, Yeah, that's right, we're all powerful and holy, bow down. But he doesn't, that's not our Jesus. He's loving, he's kind, he comes to us, he touches them, picks them up, and he says, do not fear. He wipes away their fears, their doubts, and their sins. Look to Jesus. He's the real deal, the Son of God. Fear can be a good response, though, right? The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. But it's not a fear that just makes you tremble and do nothing with your life. No, it's a fear that makes you love and follow and serve God, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. God is a star-breathing God. We should be fearful of his presence, especially if Jesus is an end between us and him. When you look to Jesus, he wipes away fears and doubts. The disciples on the mountain, they were struggling. Their faith was staggering, but Jesus wiped away their fear. And I don't know what you're struggling with or fearful of today, right? Maybe it's the fact that our economy, we're officially in a recession, and your bank account's dwindling, or your 401k, you're just wondering, am I ever going to be able to make that back, right? Or maybe it's more you look at the world, and it's a scary place. You fear your safety, and you wonder, what's it going to be like for my kids and grandkids, right? It's fearful at times. Or maybe it's more personal, right? And you know the world is broken, but when you look at your own heart, right, the fears, the doubts, the insecurities, the wrongs that you've done to others or the wrongs done to you, just feel overwhelming. But friends, the world might seem dark and lost, but look to Jesus because his glory shines bright. Look to him. When you feel overwhelmed and tired by the hurts and the pains of life, Jesus' glory transforms people like you and me. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus when your family is literally being torn apart. Jesus is the God of reconciliation. He wants to bring healing and wholeness. If you're tired of that sin that seems to so easily entangle you and control your life, look to Jesus. He's a chain breaker. He crushed sin, Satan, and death on the cross, and he wants to free us from those things. If you feel like your faith is staggering, you're losing heart, look to Jesus. He's the only one big enough to settle our fears and our doubts and to give us true hope and healing. Jesus was big enough to restore the disciples' faith. Look to Jesus in all of his glory and he will make all things new. So, so far, we've seen 
Jesus' transformation is an inside-out transformation, and I think we've been called to look to Jesus. Lastly, I want to highlight, listen to him. Listen to him. What can we learn from Jesus' suffering? That's what I want to highlight. Listen to him. What can we learn from Jesus' suffering? So do you remember Moses and Elijah showing up, these guys on the mountain? Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't know how the disciples identified them. I don't think they had name tags. Uh, We're not quite sure how they knew, but they knew nonetheless. Moses and Elijah seemed to be in glorified bodies, but not the same as Jesus. Why are they here? So these guys represent the law and the prophets. They're like old-time Bible legends, right? Moses, he was the guy that came to give the law, sent by God. So we're going to look at Moses first. He was sent by God to deliver the law to the people. And the problem with the law is that it just pointed out the problem. It didn't give us a solution. Matthew 5.17, if you remember, Jesus said that I did not come to abolish the laws and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So the law gave us the problem. Jesus gave us the solution. He came to fulfill the commandments of the law, the things that you and I were not capable of doing. He provided the answer. The last, and he pointed out the problem, Jesus is the solution, sorry. Second, Elijah. Elijah was like one of the prophets of the Old Testament, big time prophet. In fact, Elijah never formally died. He was just taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. And I'm trying to figure out what that expression means because people say 2020 feels like a whirlwind, but I haven't been taken up to heaven yet. I don't know about you. But anyways, Elijah's taken up to heaven and prophets would predict future events. All right, they would predict things unfolding, hear from God. They would speak to people. Most of the time, people didn't hear them. There were over 300 prophecies that predicted the Messiah, Jesus Christ, coming. And I just want to point your, your attention to this uh, statistic by Crew Ministries. They must be really good with math. I don't know. But they said that the chances that one person could fulfill this is one to the 18th power. It kind of looks like this. It's a lot of zeros. On a good day, I have two or three of those in the bank account, but we're talking about quintillions, quintillions, one to the 18th power that somebody could fulfill all the prophecies, the predictions of the coming Messiah. And a lot of people would argue that it's even higher than that. We're talking 18 zeros. It's pretty amazing, right? Jesus' power and glory is absolutely amazing. So one of the predictions, I want to point us just to one of those predictions, is that Jesus will suffer. One of those predictions, we'll have to look at Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament to see it. Isaiah 53, a prediction that the the Messiah would suffer, and this section I'm going to read is all about Jesus, starting in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. And he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their face and was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression and was crushed for our inequities, Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. So track with me, okay? Let's jump back to Matthew 17 and hear it from Jesus himself. Matthew 17, verse 12. 
He says, but I tell you the truth, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they please, so the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So Jesus is coming down the mountain, or journeying down the mountain now, and before he's even off the mountain, he talks about how he must suffer. But wait a minute, Jesus. That's the reason you took the disciples up there. You wanted to settle their staggering faith. Are you the Messiah that's going to save them, or are you, going to, are you a martyr that's going to leave us, right? On top of the mountain, Jesus just showed his transformational power, and he has the power to transform, but on the way down, he's talking about his suffering. This was in Jesus' mind the whole time that he was living, walking, breathing among us, that he must suffer. Jesus is, suffering servant, Jesus is a suffering servant familiar with grief. And the reason I wanted to take us here to this prediction is because Jesus isn't unfamiliar or he's not distant from your pain, my pain, or the world's pain. Like Jesus came down to us knowing that he would suffer, but it's what, that's what it took to redeem you and I back to himself, right? We had just seen in Isaiah 53 that he was acquainted with grief, with sorrows, a man who stepped in and took upon our inequities. Jesus is the one who was convicted of a crime he did not commit so that you and I, the guilty ones, could go free, right? An innocent man stepping in, serving the sentence on the cross, paying the debts, substituting himself for you and me, the guilty ones. Why would Jesus talk about his suffering in Matthew 17 on the way down the mountain? It's because the suffering Jesus was the only thing that would make you and me able to stand before a holy God. Jesus' suffering was the only way for him to substitute our sin for his holiness. And without Jesus standing in the gap, we cannot stand before a holy, powerful God, right? The disciples were with Jesus. God shows up in a cloud. He speaks, and they're terrified, face flat on the ground. Could you imagine standing before God without Jesus by your side? The suffering of Jesus was the only way. And we learn from Jesus' suffering, it's through his suffering that you and I are able to be saved and in right standing with God. It was predicted that Jesus would suffer and yet he still chose to step down off of his throne and come to us, wrap himself in flesh, suffer at the hands of the very creation of the men that he created. If that doesn't move you to love Jesus, I'm not sure what will. Friends, this was a moment on the mountain where Jesus displayed his glory as a present glory, but there's also a promised future glory. Like the unveiling, just a glimpse of Jesus' glory from heaven, that was a moment on the mountain, but there's a promise that when he comes back, his full glory will be unveiled for all of us to see. And he'll never veil it again. It's the glory that he has in heaven, and we'll be with him. Jesus has promised that one day when he returns, he will wipe away every fear all, our, all the tears, all the sin, all the pain, all the brokenness, all the sickness, and Jesus will rule and reign. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. It's going to be a great day. So, Selah, I hope that that doesn't cause you to shrink back or fear hearing about Jesus coming in his glory. No, I hope that that perfect love displayed for you on the cross casts out those fears that you press into Jesus, that you believe. Fear is a good response before a holy God, but it's just the beginning of wisdom. Perfect love casts all, out all fear. Jesus is coming again in his glory. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. But I have to be honest. The truth is, 
if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, like my friend John, who was going down this direction, but he repented, turned, and went to the other direction. If you haven't surrendered and given your life to, to Jesus Christ, when Jesus comes back, that won't be a celebration. No, it's gonna be a sad, and it's gonna be a terrible day. Friend, if that's you, can I just say that Jesus loves you more than anyone is capable of loving you on this side of eternity? Like Jesus was willing to step in and pay the penalty for you and I sin. Jesus is for you, he's not against you. Jesus was willing to give his life so that, yours, so that you can be in right standing with God. So turn from whatever sin that is that has your heart, that's gripping your heart right now. Will you turn from it and look to Jesus and be saved? I know, I just wanna be honest, like the Christian life, it's not the easiest life. In fact, Jesus said it wouldn't be easy. Most of the time it feels like an uphill climb. But I don't know about you, I wanna be on top of that mountain when Jesus comes in his glory and sacrifice the little bit I have to hear to be with him for all eternity. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It truly is that easy. So if you said yes to Jesus, I have two asks. If you said yes, maybe for the first time, or you're recommitting your life to Jesus, uh, will you tell somebody that you decided to follow Jesus? Uh, We wanna celebrate with you. Uh, I wanna suggest that, like my friend, you open up the Bible, you start reading it for yourself. Maybe you can track through Matthew with us and just start hearing from God on your own. Uh, And also, I wanna encourage you to jump into City Group. City Group's a great place for discipleship to happen because uh, we're able to point each other to Jesus. Um, It's a great place for people to speak into your life and to steer you in that direction. So friend, will you say yes to Jesus and City Light? Jesus is the king of glory and he transforms us from the inside out. Let's look to him and learn from his suffering and look to his promised future glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. King Jesus, I'm so thankful for your grace and your mercy. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for giving us um, just a revealing of your transformation power. Uh, But God, thank you for what you've done in our own hearts. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving us, giving us eternal life, uh, turning us towards you. God, in a world that is dark and broken, uh, in a, just in a, a moment, God, um, when you come back, all those things are gonna be wiped away. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to be with you, but I'm thankful that you're willing to come to us and step in our place and make all things new. And God, uh, as we hold on, I pray that we would run this race uh, faithfully, God, that we would look to you, uh, that we would not uh, succumb to our own like uh, devices, God, and get sidetracked or distracted, but Jesus, we put aside our comforts, we put aside our privileges like you did to come to us and we make much of your name. And Jesus, for those that said yes to you this morning, God, I pray that they would feel uh, your love and your embrace, that uh, you be calling them to yourself, Jesus, and they can walk in newness of life. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us, your glory. God, I pray that it changes us, that we look more like Jesus each and every day. It's in your name I pray, amen.